0: Welcome to Bear Books for the love of indie.
1: We're here to highlight and amplify self published authors.
0: And here we are again with our very first flash fiction episode of season four. And we are joined today by Dean Wrigley, who is fast becoming part of the furniture. Welcome, Dean.
2: Hello, Daisy. How are you today?
0: Absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much. Also, we've got April. We can't miss April out. She's the most trouble we've ever known on the podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to be a thorn in your side forever and in a day.
0: Oh, God.
1: <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in there.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to all of the rest of my life now. <laughs> Hi, Dean.
1: Welcome to the podcast.
0: Hi, well, April. Good to
1: see you again. Yeah, you too. Do you know, one day... In the not so distant future, we might actually all be able to sit in the same place and record this.
0: That would be brilliant. And so much fun.
1: Yeah. We could do it now. We could record it in the garden. Will there be wine? Oh, definitely.
0: Oh, God, we'll go to hell in a Hancock. Can you imagine? We we'll yeah, start out with a semi-same conversation and it'd <laughs> <laughs> be debauched in no time if Dean's present.
1: Well, yeah, it would.
0: <laughs> Depends which story I'm reading out. Yes, I suppose it does. But there's always something to do with smut in your stories, love.
1: Yeah, I want to know how Dean's going to wind and work smut into sleepwalking, but I suppose it's possible, really, isn't it?
0: Well, he might not. He might surprise us.
1: Has somebody else written the story, then? Not him.
0: <laughs> Maybe Kitty did it.
1: She's too busy catching mice.
0: Yeah, yuck. One of the things I don't like about cats.
1: Oh, it's amazing. I was watching two of mine the other day, chasing a mouse around the front garden. And it was only a little baby mouse. And my housemate went and got Roland and brought him in. And this mouse was making a dash for the for the hedgerow when Clive appeared out of nowhere. Poor little mouse. It did escape.
0: I do like mice. I do think it's a shame when they get caught.
1: Yeah, it is. I get about one a day.
0: Not that I want a house full of them or anything like that, but I do like them.
1: Yeah, they are cute little creatures. They aren't? don't
0: make me run for the hills like spiders do. How do our conversations degenerate into utter rubbish so fast? I don't know. Come on, let's get on with some stories. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let's do that, please. Well, you're first, so come on. I am. Okay, are we ready? Yep. Yep. So I'm kicking off the flash fiction stories this week. Uh, We will have Dean reading his after mine, and then April will be bringing up the rear, saving the best till last, so she thinks. But I will kick us off with my version of sleepwalking, which is the prompt we've all written stories for on this occasion. So if you're sitting comfortably, I will begin. Natalie shrugged on her favourite mustard coloured coat as she absent-mindedly sized up the wall above the antique Delft Chardonnay she'd acquired just yesterday. She knew exactly what was needed for that space and she knew just where to get it. She stepped outside and looked up at a sky full of sparkling stars as she made her way to the Rue de Rivoli to pick up the perfect little painting for her wall. The door to the gallery wasn't locked, so Natalie slipped inside, her footsteps echoing back at her as she made her way through the empty hallways towards her prize. Oh, and there she was, all 77 by 53 centimetres of her, the ideal dimensions for her wall and the love of her life just happened to be her namesake. It was meant to be, surely. She'd read somewhere that if you behaved as if you belonged, you were a lot less likely to have your actions questioned, so she confidently lifted her painting of choice off the wall. She didn't bother to wrap it in anything or try to hide it in any way. Natalie left the Louvre, closed the door behind her, and turned left off the Rue de Rivoli into Mayfield Grove. She entered her house and hung her new painting in pride of place above the jardinier. She made herself a cup of tea and stood in the lounge doorway blowing the steam from her drink and admiring her new acquisition with a contented smile. Her home was now complete. She washed up her favourite Tiffany teacup, made her way to bed and drifted into the satisfied sleep of the accomplished As Natalie woke up, she yawned, stretched and opened her eyes, immediately squinting at the sunshine streaming through the bare window in their huge empty bedroom full of promise. A grin slowly crept across her face as she sat up and slid her arms around her new wife. On this, their first morning waking up together in their new home. I think we should paint this room cornflower blue to match your beautiful eyes. She whispered as she kissed her wife's bare shoulder. Lisa turned to kiss Natalie and smiled as she slipped out of bed. Lots of white and maybe a little dusky pink would look amazing with that blue for this room, baby. Good call. She dropped her wife a saucy wink as she sashayed naked across the bedroom, picking up her dressing gown from the floor where it had been abandoned in their rush to christen their marital bed the night before. I'm going to unpack the cups and see if I can find the teapot. We deserve a decent brew before we get started with decorating and unpacking. Natalie groaned playfully at the thought of all the work to be done and snuggled back under the duvet to wait for her morning tea to arrive. As Lisa padded through to the kitchen on her hunt for the teapot, she noticed the front door was ajar. Her stomach dropped in fear. Had someone been in the house? Oh God, what if they were still here? She stopped dead in her tracks and held her breath, trying to listen for any sounds of movement in the rest of the house. She couldn't hear anything, so she crept through to the kitchen, and there was no one there. As she turned to creep into the lounge to check there, she realised how stupid it was for her to go looking for an intruder. What did she think she'd do if she found one? But she carried on regardless. Luckily for her, there was no one else in the house. But what she did find was a painting hanging on the lounge wall that hadn't been there when they'd gone to bed last night. With a puzzled look on her face and her mind whirling through possible scenarios, both logical and not, she shouted Natalie, Nat, Nat, come down here, quick, as she hovered in the doorway between the lounge and the stairs. She heard the bed creak, followed by Natalie's surprised gasp of what the hell. They met at the bottom of the stairs, Lisa looking puzzled and Natalie looking worried as she shot out a quick, what's wrong, what is it, are you okay? Lisa nodded that she was fine and took Natalie's hand to lead her into the lounge as she explained, the front door was open when I came downstairs, it's okay, there's no one here, she quickly reassured as she saw Natalie's eyes darting around in fear, but look, she pointed at the picture hanging on the wall. Natalie looked at Lisa like she was deranged and then grinned. Is this a joke? Like someone will break in to hang a picture on the wall, ha <laughs> ha. You could have just said you bought a painting. No, babe, that's just it. I didn't buy a painting. The door really was open. I've never seen this painting before. Well, I've seen the original of it. Obviously, it's hanging in the Louvre. Who wouldn't know the Mona Lisa when they saw her? Lisa's voice trailed off as her eyes moved from Natalie's face to Natalie's feet, to the painting and the open door, and then back to Natalie. Natalie, look at your feet. Natalie looked down to her feet as Lisa whispered, Oh my God, Nat, your feet are filthy. It's you. You've been out walking again. Please tell me that's not the original, she cried, as the sound of sirens drowned out her question.
1: Classic. I love it. It's original. It's very good.
0: Nothing like the one I started to write. I just couldn't do it.
1: Isn't it weird when you you get an an idea and you think, oh, that's a really, really good idea. And then what you end up with is nothing like what you started with.
0: Yeah, because I thought, well, I do sleepwalk, so I've got loads to draw on, but I'm oblivious to anything I may have been thinking or feeling when I sleepwalk. It's somebody else saying, oh, you did this last night or all the magnets have gone off the fridge or, you know, whatever has happened and it's really hard to try and put something I'm only half aware of into a story. So I had to, like, make something up from scratch that I was nothing to do with. Yes,
1: yeah, so it's just as well you wandering round the, the Louvre in your bare feet at night, <laughs> nicking the paintings off the wall.
0: Well, yeah, I don't want to get arrested, really.
1: No, I, think, I reckon you struggle to get it back from Paris on the, on the Eurostar at the moment. Yeah.
0: Whatever. She's gotta put shoes on.
1: Yeah, but you don't when you sleepwalk, do you?
0: No, I don't suppose you do. Was she sleepwalking naked? Oh, good question, Dean. Um <laughs> who knows? <laughs> 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 that would have been interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> Come to think of it, they did wake up naked, didn't they? Oh my days.
1: What shocked me is a feet of filthy. But when she was sleepwalking the the sort of thoughts that she had she could hear that her footsteps echoing but you never said she had shoes on did you you no. just said footsteps echoing back at her
0: maybe she had shoes on because she certainly put a coat on in her dream
1: that's true she did because she she reached for a, a favorite coat didn't she
0: yeah so but, she dressed but in it it a dream but she may have been completely <laughs> naked as dean said when when she actually went
1: <laughs> wasn't a dream though was it
0: half and half maybe She didn't have a mustard coat, I don't think. I think that was just a dream coat.
1: I would really like to talk to somebody that sleepwalks.
0: Yeah. But are people that sleepwalk away?
1: No, but the people around them must be.
2: (laughs) I've sleptwalked.
0: Oh, yeah? Absolutely. Do tell.
1: Come on then, Dean. (laughs) Yeah, do tell.
2: I did the most outrageous thing when I was sleepwalking once. I can't possibly... Every page on a, on a podcast. <laughs>
0: oh, my days. Oh, wow. Can we have a clean version? Because knowing you, it's smutty. Uh, no, it's not a smutty. It's
2: just um, I did something in a fridge that.
0: Um...
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think I can guess.
0: <laughs> I think we can guess then. Thank you. Yeah.
1: I know somebody that used to sleepwalk and do in the wardrobe.
0: Wow. Aren't people weird?
1: Yeah, they are. <laughs> but the three of us are not particularly normal. You do know this, don't you?
0: Well, Dean more so than us, obviously
1: (laughs) Thank you, sweetie (laughs) Yeah, let's not insult the guests
0: (laughs) (laughs) Dean's not a guest (laughs) Part of the furniture these days
1: I did like that, though It was quirky And it was imaginative And it was very descriptive as well, I have got to say
2: Yes, I noticed that as well I think um, Have you been reading things that you don't normally read?
0: Yes I've been trying to broaden my horizons. I've been reading other flash fiction.
2: Good. I think that shows.
1: Yeah, yeah, I thought it did. I did think there was more description to it and there was more in my imagination I could envisage. And you've done some research as well.
0: Yeah, I had to because I didn't know what street the Louvre was on, etc.
1: You do <laughs> or now. Or what size it was. Or <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it kind of give it that slickness to it.
0: I'm really pleased that I'm growing as a writer for this. I think that's brilliant. Thank you so much, both of you.
1: You are very welcome.
0: I think we should hear from Dean now.
2: <laughs> okay, so here we are. Sleepwalk. Professor Plum sat bolt upright in bed. He reached towards the bedside cabinet, grabbed his spectacles, unfolded them, and placed them on his face. He got out of bed and wandered around the walls, eventually finding the door. In the pitch darkness, he fumbled for the doorknob and turned it. He opened the door and turned right into a corridor. Walking a few steps, he brushed against the wooden cabinet, stopped and turned towards it. He looked through the cabinet's double glass doors, his eyes moving rapidly over the objects on the cabinet shelves. Opening the glass doors, his right hand took hold of a wooden box and lifted it towards him. There was a little key in the lock. He turned the key, opened the box, and took out a small pistol. He lifted the pistol, placed it against his temple, and squeezed the trigger. Nothing. He pumped the trigger a few more times, but nothing more than a weak spray of water puffed from the barrel. Empty. He put the pistol down and descended the staircase. He entered a room containing a large table with remnants of a banquet strewn across it and a lone candlestick in the centre. Propped up against the candlestick was a Polaroid photograph. He picked it up and looked at it. It had been taken recently. He recognised himself in it, Colonel Mustard, Mrs Peacock and the flame-haired Miss Scarlet. The other name slipped his mind. He went to place the picture back on the table, but it dropped from his hand and fluttered to the floor. He picked up a knife from the table. He held it by the handle, pointing it downwards, and began stabbing at the oranges in the fruit bowl. As each orange was punctured, some juice squirted out and splashed onto his hand. He dropped the knife and it landed point first on the photograph, pinning it to the laminate floor and vibrating menacingly upon the image of Miss Scarlet. Another door. He opened it and went into an untidy store cupboard. His rapid eyes saw a large spanner hanging from a nail in the wall, and leaning up against the wall was a long pipe. He picked up the pipe and pulled it towards him. Henry swivelled around with a hollow sliding sound and viewed him suspiciously with a big pair of surprised eyes. A rope was hanging from a hook in the cupboard ceiling. He pulled it off the hook, gauged its length in his hands, and tied a knot in its center. He tugged at it to tighten the knot. He reversed out of the cupboard and walked back to the hallway, dominated by a large mirror. In the mirror, he saw a man wearing purple pajamas, and an urge to do him physical harm arose in the professor's psyche. He wrapped the rope around the man's neck and pulled on both ends. The rope tightened and the eyes of the man in the mirror bulged. His tongue came out of his mouth and he even got a little sexually aroused. The professor laughed at that, coughed and dropped the rope. He turned and climbed the staircase rubbing at the discomfort in his throat. He wandered back along the corridor hugging the wall and found a doorknob. He turned the knob opened the door and walked into the room. His bare foot kicked against a pillow that had been thrown on the floor. He picked it up, restored its plumpness and removed the long red hair from it before placing it over her sleeping face and pressing down firmly until her struggling had ceased. He left the bedroom where the corpse of Miss Scarlet was cooling under a pillow and crossed the corridor into his own bedroom. He climbed into bed and settled his head. Moments later, he felt something digging into him from behind his ears and across the bridge of his nose. He awoke with a start and realised he was wearing his spectacles. His hands were sticky, his throat was sore, and his hair was damp on one side. "'Oh no, I've been sleepwalking again, and it feels like I've been up to some mischief,' he said to himself. "'I hope nobody guesses who did it, where they did it, and with what.'
0: love it.
1: <laughs> very clever.
0: Yeah, very, very good, Dean.
1: Yes, I like that. The way you took the game of Cluedo and made it into a, a little bit of a mystical kind of whodunit type thing.
2: Yeah, and then ended up using a pillow to suffocate
1: yeah. yeah. And
0: let's face it, it wouldn't be a Dean story without a little bit of sexual tension in there.
1: <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Not, of course, not at all. <laughs>
0: That's your trademark, if you ever write one without it we're going to know someone wrote it for you
1: Yeah, we'll worry it's not yours, Dean yeah.
0: <laughs> Ghostwriter
2: I started off from the, from the premise that I I wanted to kill somebody off <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard you two kill off your subjects and I thought, yeah, I want to do that and, and then just slowly evolve
0: Yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, I like killing people off in stories. It's great. Have I we think ever it's... had
0: an episode of Flash Fiction where somebody didn't die?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: No, no. Dean's kept that alive. We're still going strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We haven't had yet. Oh, that's true. We could have more bodies to come. Who knows? <laughs> 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 did you enjoy writing that one then, Dean?
2: Yes, I did. Once I got into it. Well, once I realised that I didn't actually have to... Name everybody. Yeah. My mate, I didn't actually need to include all the all the potential weapons but but I did. And all the put a little bit of humor in it, it's like the, the the pistols a water pistol and the, the the pipe was a was a vacuum cleaner and you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Quite like the way you've got your own little personal twists in there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I am enjoying this. It's so good. I love flash fiction episodes.
1: Yes, I, I do. I find the flash fiction ones a little bit stressful in the run up to it because it's obviously it's, there's pressure on us. We've got to get something written. And I am very much last to be honest. You are, yeah. Is this uh, however, another last minute Um Yeah, it is really. I had it all written down, all planned out. Um, and then I've wrote it in the last hour and a half.
0: Uh, Very much (laughs) lastminute.com. then.
1: (laughs) I knew what I was going to write about, though. Absolutely knew what I was going to write about and had everything all planned out on like a a template type thing. So I was a bit organised.
0: Do you know what I like about that, though? I like the fact that a lot of times the flash fiction that is on the actual podcast is first draft. Everybody's first thoughts of the story that they want inside their head. By the time that transpires to anthology stage, it's gone through several rounds of editing. It's refined and likely to change quite a bit. So what people read later on is potentially not quite the same and doesn't flow exactly the same. So it's really nice because people get both versions if they listen and read it. And
1: then read it, yeah. And we get plenty of flash fiction submitted to us that needs a lot of editing before we can even put it on the podcast.
0: That too. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear yours
1: though, April. Are you ready? I'm ready, yes.
0: Excellent.
1: Patrick returned from the clinic. He felt refreshed and at ease with the world, a feeling he had not had for a long time. The last six months had been hell. He'd lost his job. His mother-in-law had custody of his two children because he lost the family home and could only afford a one-bedroom flat. He only got to see them every two weeks, which he relished. All this tragedy was the fallout from the killing of his wife in an horrendous attack one night. The fact that the killer hadn't meant to do it, that it was an accident, didn't make the hurt any worse. Nor did it do anything to quash the rising anger in Patrick, which seemed to get worse with every passing day. Unlocking his flat door, Patrick picked up his post, threw it onto the kitchen counter and made himself a coffee. He took the leaflets from his pocket and put them with the post, took his drink And went into the bedroom he was tired he found it really difficult to sleep at the clinic last night was the eighth night he'd been there only two more to go he thought to himself but it was worth every sleepless minute making plans in his head for the rest of the day his first priority was a new job update and registry CV on job websites but first he needed a shower and a quick nap Patrick switched on the shower and the radio, stripped off and stepped in to wash the clinical smells off his body. A loud banging on his flat door drowned out the dulcet tones of Paloma faith, enticing him to New York. Patrick quickly rinsed off when it became apparent the banging wasn't stopping. He stepped out of the shower, picked up a towel and tried to wrap it around him while opening the door at the same time. Facing Patrick on the doorstep was the detective, who had been in charge of the investigation into his wife's murder. Patrick had spent hours with the detective but something told him today's visit wasn't a friendly one. Before he knew what was happening, Patrick found himself handcuffed and in the back of a police car, arrested on suspicion of murder. Patrick was shell-shocked. What was happening? Will his nightmares ever end? At the police station, Patrick was fingerprinted, handcuffed and taken into a square gloomy room and sat down at a table. The officer had given him the right to a solicitor, so Patrick was waiting for her to arrive before he would say anything to the officers across the table. Julia, his solicitor, walked in the door and immediately commanded Patrick not to say a word. She demanded to know why he had been arrested, what he had done, and what evidence the police had to support the arrest. Patrick was astounded, as they laid out the sequence of events as the police saw them. He had been accused of attacking Sean Williams and killing him. The police had CCTV footage and also an eyewitness who had been able to name him due to the extensive TV coverage around his wife's murder. Patrick couldn't believe what was happening to him. He was examined by a doctor to look for any marks that he may have sustained during the the attack. His flat, according to his solicitor, had been torn apart. He hated his cellmate and argued with him every day he was in prison awaiting his trial. Eventually, four months after being arrested, Patrick was in court. The hearing lasted 10 days with expert witnesses on either side, the defence specialist putting the mitigation to the jury and the prosecution specialists arguing against any mitigation. The crucial evidence that worked in Patrick's favour and the eventual not guilty verdict were the leaflets from the clinic that he had carelessly thrown on the kitchen units with his post the last day he'd been in his flat. After all, if John Williams could get away with murdering his wife by claiming he was sleepwalking when he did it, so could Patrick.
0: Very NCIS. Well, that's your bag, isn't it? You watch that sort of stuff. It's quite a change from your usual relationship stories. I think you've been channelling your dark side. The only thing I can say, really, (laughs) is trust you. (laughs) (laughs) Why? You go from little miss gardening and allotments to full-on bloody murder. Why not? You're like Mrs Beaton to Poirot in one heartbeat.
1: Did you know I did some research for this? Yeah. And I researched murder while sleepwalking. I'm hoping wow. nobody ever nobody ever looks at my history on my computer. But actually, it has been used as a defence, a successful defence in quite a few cases. Wow. Yeah, somebody got away with sexually assaulting somebody because they did it while they were sleepwalking.
0: How do you prove that, though?
1: You have to go through lots of tests. So, obviously, the person that said, I've been sleepwalking, obviously, I've got to go through tests. He says, that's Patrick was... Was at the clinic, going through tests to make, you know, f- so that he could use it as a defence. Well planned out, Patrick.
0: Patrick is so naughty. Naughty being quite the understatement. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that actually. Using it as a defence for murder. Again, a lot of detail in there, though, so that we got it.
1: Yeah. I think I suppose I've, I've done the same as you, and I've tried to do it to improve, you know, my writing. Because, like mm. I say, for me, it's not. I'm not naturally artistic.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if writing is artistic as such, or more creative, because like you create worlds, don't you? In a way, yeah, it is. You think? Yeah, because
2: yeah. If you're trying to describe something, and um, because of the limitations that we have with the thousand words, yeah, you, 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 you know, you can't be too, you can't waffle, can you? you True. You, yeah. You want to get to the point, so you got more to write about.
0: Yeah, yeah, you've got to learn what the salient points are, I guess, but still have enough detail.
1: To get a story across.
0: Yeah, without it being so vague that only the writer really gets it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think we are all getting better at that, though. I can see your point, both of you, that our writing styles are developing as, as the seasons go and as the more we write.
1: I think they are. And I think you're saying that writing is not artistic. You might have millions of authors coming down on you and saying, well, actually, we think it is.
0: Well, is, is a natural storyteller an art form, do you think?
1: Oh, that's a point for debate, isn't it?
0: <laughs> I mean, yes. On the one hand, I can see that it is because, you know, there is a knack to storytellers like the Irish are natural storytellers or, you know, conmen are natural them. storytellers.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say that's an art form, would you?
0: What, con men?
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know. They have to get
0: the mark to believe every word they're saying. That's true. What is that noise? Oh, it's outside of April's. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way all of our flash fiction stories are evolving and I'm looking forward to learning a lot more. Because even though I can see that everybody's style is slightly changing as time goes by, I think personally, at least, I am a long way off where I want to be with my writing style and my content and being able to structure everything that I want to say into such a short story. How do you feel about your writing styles?
1: I don't really think I've ever kind of thought about mine, to be honest. Writing's not something that's ever been on my horizon. Since I stopped doing prose about Macbeth when I was 16 for O-Levels, it's not ever been something I've thought about. However, I have realized that whereas I just used to chuck a few words on a on an A4 sheet of paper, metaphorically, because obviously I'm writing it on a computer. With this one, I did like a template structure, an outline of the story of what I wanted to happen in it. And then I filled in the the description and the bits around it and the thoughts and things like that of what Patrick was thinking and the types of things he did. And I found it easier to actually write it because I had a structure to write it to. But I don't really think I've got any idea of where I want to be because I never thought I'd want to be there in the beginning, if that makes sense.
0: I see. So your structure of your writing is changing, but you're still a pantser when it comes to planning where you're going with it. Yeah. Because they do say there's like two forms, don't they? There's the outliners and there's the pantsers. Stephen King, for example, is a pantser. He writes it by the seat of his pants. No structure, no outline, no nothing. He just writes and sees where it takes him. Yeah. And then you've got the school of thought that you have to have like an outline. And as you said, fill in all the detail and the blanks and, and make the story around the actual progression of what's happening. What do you yeah. do, Dean?
2: Um, I generally have a storyline, a rough storyline, all yeah. the way through, and then I, I just write it properly, say pad it out, but I just make it more beautiful,
0: let's like, say. <laughs> yeah, so like bullet points rather than an outline then? Yeah, it
2: depends. If, if there's if there's some sort of um, set of words that I want to use, that uh, I, I know I'm going to use in the in the final draft, then I'll, I'll actually add that bit into it, but in a sort of draft version. So there, there are definitely bits which make the final cut from the very start. Let's say, yeah. um, and then it just, it just develops from that. The Sleepwalk one actually started with a with a desire to kill somebody off. Um, so I had that, <laughs> I had that as my as my ending point, and then for some reason I just thought of Cluedo and, and we and wove it all in together. Yeah,
1: I did think that of yours was a clever idea. Dean, and you're right. One of the things that I've noticed about these stories is you can absolutely do whatever you want to do. So like you've just said, Dean, I wanted to kill somebody off. It's easy to do it in a story.
0: Yeah, no repercussions either. No. Just keep it as fiction, people. Keep it as fiction.
1: Yeah, which means we can still be here next week because we won't be arrested.
0: I wouldn't get arrested. I would have all this fabulous planning. Yeah, of course but you obviously. would. Obviously.
1: I mean, not watched watch CSI...
0: Yeah, all right then. I'd be arrested first. I'm rubbish at secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I like telling people secrets. I think there's something cool about telling.
1: And remind me not to tell you anything. Yeah,
0: don't tell me anything ever. I will tell everybody.
1: Dean's looking a bit quizzic like you.
0: I wouldn't tell your secrets, Dean, sweetie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you just record it <laughs> and tell the world. Yeah, I'll
0: okay. get so- hey. Guess what Dean said.
2: (laughs) Right, come on then, a little bit
1: of a serious note, what have we got coming up next week?
0: We are fortnightly this season, darling. I know this. (laughs) Sure you do. (laughs) But next time we are back on reviewing indie authors. I am reviewing Rachel Parsonage. She wrote The Porter, which is a really interesting book in COVID times where a chap that's working in a hospital in all his PPE, so he's got a full face mask and coverings and nobody really knows who he is, meets some of his demons from his childhood and exacts revenge.
1: Wow, sounds quite interesting. Yeah, that
0: that is an interesting one.
1: And I've gone down the path of reality for mine. So my review is a book by Patricia Feinberg Stoner and it's called At Home in the Pay Dock. And it's about a couple who move out to France It's my type of book, to be honest. I do like reading about travel and about people's real life experiences. It's very humorous as well. It really shows the difference between the French and the English and the way of life and the things that you do and what we wouldn't put up with in this country in terms of accommodation, that kind of thing. It's just so much of a more relaxed way of life. And it's really, really interesting.
0: Terrific. Can't wait to hear the review then. Mm -hmm. So that's it. We're about out of time for this episode. So I would like to say a huge, enormous thank you to Dean for not only writing a flash fiction, but for joining us and co-hosting with us on this episode. So thank you, Dean.
2: You're welcome, Daisy and April. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dean. I enjoyed your
1: company as always.
0: Yes. Thank you April. Even the smutty bits.
1: Wouldn't be Dean without the smutty bits, would it? No, not
0: really. <laughs> so we will see everybody. Two weeks today with our reviews of, I've forgotten what April's is called already.
1: At Home in the Pay Dock.
0: And The Porter from myself. So we will see you two weeks today.
1: Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter.
0: Or if you want to send in your stories, email us at submissions at